0: Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay. You're tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR Radio, 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. This is Dr. Patty, and today we are going to be talking about a subject that is kept very silent a lot, and that is depression in men. Men suffer from depression a lot, and one of the things we deal with often is that men that get depressed will often say I'm fine. No, I'm good. That's, you know, no I'm I'm doing okay. Leave me alone. They don't want to admit it and they don't want to acknowledge that something's happening with them and it's difficult for them often to accept help. So today we're going to be talking about how depression in men manifests itself sometimes how it The signs and symptoms of it, we're going to have a very special guest who's going to talk to you with a a lot of authority about this, and we're going to give you an idea of how you recognize if you're depressed and how you get treatment and what kind of treatment you can probably expect. The thing you need to know if you're suffering from depression, whether you're male or female, is that depression is very, very treatable, and Often people think they're going to feel like that for the rest of their lives, or they go in and out of feeling suicidal, and they start to feel more and more hopeless. I want you to hear me right from the get-go. Depression is treatable, and you can feel better. So I want to give you a little bit of an introduction on what depression in men is can present like and why it's so important for us to have a topic today. And then in the second part of the show, I'm going to introduce you to my special guest who's going to give you a lot of really good information from a very authoritative space and share some things with you that I think will help you see deeper into this subject. If you know someone that's depressed or you yourself is struggling with this. So uh, let's talk about how depression doesn't always manifest as the boo-hoo's. People think that if you're depressed, you're sitting around crying a lot, you've got the blues, um, you do very uh, depressive things that people always say, well, that's depression. You know, you, you're having trouble functioning or getting out of bed. Um, hygiene goes downhill. And so those are pretty obvious signs of depression, and they're also obvious signs of advanced depression, where somebody is really starting to fail. They're not functioning. One of the things I look for in my office is how well someone is functioning. Do they get up and take a shower and go to work and do their thing um, and do it well and come home and do the kids and cook dinner? Are they functioning in their daily life, or is that beginning to fall off? So levels of depression can be looked at by how much functioning is falling off and how the person is really getting into a deep, dark pit and not doing well. But it doesn't always look like that. Depression can be subtle and quiet and just something that you feel deep inside yourself, but you don't say out loud. And that is what we want to start talking about today. We're talking about depression in men, and we're saying it out loud. So let me give you an example a long, I've been doing this for a very long time, 30-plus years in private practice, and I see a lot of people that are depressed, and I see a lot of kids that are depressed. And as a psychologist, we often say that kids don't cry when they're depressed. And, and most parents will tell you that. When their child is suffering with grief and loss and depression and um, things that have happened to them, they often act out. They get angry and irritable, they don't cooperate, Um, they have an attitude, they seem obnoxious or obstinate and not cooperative. Well, I'll tell you that the same thing tends to happen with men. Because men don't want to admit that they're feeling really sad inside or are lost or hopeless or powerless or vulnerable, they don't like those kind of words. In fact, a lot of men in my office, I I almost never say the F word. We know what the F word is, fear. Men don't like to admit they're afraid or that they have fear about anything. And it's, it's a societal thing. Um, they're conditioned not to be vulnerable because that makes them not strong and not able to protect their family or whatever. So they tend to run away from anything that makes them feel weak or vulnerable. So if you take that same kind of thing with kids and say kids act out when they're depressed, men tend to do that too. So often when men are depressed, they're angry and irritable. They're not sleeping well or they have sleep disturbances, like they might be able to fall asleep often because they've drank too much, wake up at two or three in the morning feeling horrible, and they usually blame that on the alcohol. And then try to get back to sleep, or maybe can, but then have early morning awakening. So sleep disturbances all over the board. And our expert is going to talk to you more about that in the second section. But Men will tend to act out when depressed, and not every man. Remember, the things we talk about with emotional stuff and psychological issues are not are never everyone. So people will present with different symptoms, but it's not unusual to see a man who's trying to escape. Either he's throwing himself into work and being a workaholic, or drinking too much, or is escaping into pot or other drugs. There's anger and irritability, sleep disturbances, um, trouble getting motivated to do basic chores or basic things that they usually did, um, and even affairs, men looking to escape from what they're feeling. So it's important to know that depression is not always going to present like somebody is sad and depressed. And often when men are suicidal, they don't say it out loud. And that's always worrisome, too, because um, historically men have less suicide attempts and more suicide completions. And they don't threaten and say, I'm going to kill myself. They're not as dramatic generally. Now, some are. So remember, there's not an always or a never here. Um, But one of the biggest things that I tend to see is, I'll have somebody come in, a man come in, often because a family member or a wife or somebody is saying he needs help and he'll kind of reluctantly come in, usually arms folded across his chest, you know, I I don't need to be here. Um, She thinks I drink too much or something like that. And so if I'm going to really join with that person and help them feel safe in therapy and get them talking about how they feel, I want to look for what is underlying the excessive alcohol and the alcohol is a turn the volume down thing I don't want to feel it I want to escape and not be anchored to what's going on inside of me so alcohol is often a red flag for something going on underneath and that's what I'm looking for and that's important for you to know too if you're listening to this and saying yeah I struggle with depression and I don't want to go in and tell that therapist how much I drink and I don't know if all you guys know this, but often when you tell a therapist or a medical doctor how much you drink, we kind of automatically double it, sometimes more than double it, because you know, people tend to minimize, you know, the one glass of wine is really three. The I've, Some people say, uh-huh, and I end up drinking the whole bottle, and then my usual question is, and do you open a second? And they kind of look at me with wide eyes, because people don't like to lie, usually, but they minimize how much alcohol they have. So One of the pieces of advice I'll give you right up front is if you go in and talk to your doctor and you go in and talk to a therapist, just tell them what you really do, because they're going to triple it or double it anyway, (laughs) and it's because they know, partly because doctors and therapists are human, and they would probably do the same thing if they went in. All right, we're going to go to break in a minute, and... Don't go away, because when we come back, I've got something really, really important for you to do, to listen to and learn from. I've got someone who is an amazing person, and he has incredible experience in this realm. And he's going to share a lot of stuff with you that I think will be really important for you to hear. So we're going to break. We'll be back in just a minute or so. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty and Dr. Richard. (laughs) Dr. Patricia Bay and Dr. Richard Malachy. And we are talking about depression in men. And we want to go over with you some of the signs and symptoms that we both see. Because I might see them from a therapeutic angle that come in, and Dr. Malaki might see them from a medical angle that comes in. And we want you to be watching for both of them. So, Dr. Malaki, what do you think is one of the primary things you see men come in with when they're depressed? What makes what red flags you to go, huh?
1: Well, one of the most common ones, and I think it, it's been the most common one, I would say, since I started working, is, is alcohol. So the book says um, 70% of uh, adult alcoholics, male or female, 70% have an untreated depression. I agree with that. Yeah, and it's it's really common in it, any of the rehab places. They'll almost always, in in the process of trying people out, they'll almost always introduce uh, some kind of medication, some antidepressant medicine, because um, it's an avoidance behavior, and it covers things up, and it numbs things, and it makes you so you don't have to deal with your reality. Right. Because your reality isn't good.
0: Well, the thing I talk to men about a lot when they come in is, and they'll admit to alcohol, and then you're right. You know, we double or triple what they usually say. Yes. But I talk to them about alcohol is like the volume knob, and it takes the screaming level 10 in your brain of how horrible you feel and turns it down. And so alcohol becomes habit and needed and self-medicating to turn that volume down of the sadness and the anger and the irritability. And the I just can't do this anymore feeling
1: Yeah, all those things. And so we'll see that we'll see like if, if uh sometimes the patient's spouse will come in or their kids will come in and uh and say, I'm worried about, about so-and-so because he's, you know, real, real uh, easy to get mad, easy to get sad. And, uh, They'll they'll almost always have a sleep disturbance, either trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, or both. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes they just come in and and they just look at me and say, "I just don't feel good," mm-hmm. and that's their their version of a cry for help. So
0: men often come into therapy and they have something to focus on, like. Uh, I'm mad at my wife, we're not having sex anymore, we haven't had sex for a long time, she's pulled away from me. Women will come in and say he's drinking too much, he's irritable and angry all the time, I just don't like him how he is. Um, They're angry. And so I often see male depression present as a couple's issue. Right. Uh, There's an affair that's happened. um, and. Think of it. Sometimes that's a form of self-medicating. A man might look for something to make him not feel what he's feeling. Workaholic, alcoholic, um, sex, either trying to have excessive or no sex, can't, doesn't have a libido anymore, or looking for something to turn the volume down elsewhere. Right. Somebody to have sex with that will make them feel wanted and needed and happy again. So it's a lot of avoidance and denial behavior, and you've got to cut through that. I often say to people that sometimes the most important first part of therapy is cutting through the denial and avoidance. In fact, I love it when people come and sit down in my office and they're like, right on it. I'm, they're not going to do denial and avoidance. Um, but that is an important part of the therapeutic process. And and with men in depression, that's often where we start. Yeah. So what's the denial and avoidance you see in your office? They come in there, like, how do you figure out they're drinking too much?
1: Well, like he said, we ask them and double or triple what they answer. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's because of a DUI. Or, yeah. you know, that'll be like, oh, gee, a canary and a in there. And uh got to figure that out. Um, sometimes, most of the time, I would say that, you know, men will come in because, or they'll come in dragged by the ear by their spouse. Yes. And just saying, fix this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you an example of someone I had not a whole long time ago um, in last few recent years. A guy came in uh, with his wife and they start talking about their relationship. Then I I almost always check in with how's their sex life going because it's a real barometer on what's happening. And they start talking about his sexual dysfunction and he's of course embarrassed and doesn't want to talk about it and in denial about that. But then he finally starts talking about erectile dysfunction. And so I check for where's alcohol fit into that because it's often a factor in erectile dysfunction. Oh yeah. And so then I find out that there's a lot of alcohol and then there's a lot of sexual dysfunction and then there's a lot of couple dysfunction and this has been going on for years. So then I start going, huh? I'm yeah. going to be checking for depression. Well, alcohol
1: here. is a sex killer. It is. Yeah.
0: And it's an erection killer. Yeah. And it's also a libido killer in excess. So then I'm starting to check for depression. And what ended up happening is we ended up setting the couple therapy aside and working on this man's depression. And then when he finally stepped into, yes, I'm depressed, he had a whole lot of things that had happened to him over the last bunch of years, losses and traumas and job issues and stuff like that. When he really started dealing with his depression, all the other stuff, became a non-issue he stopped drinking as much he got healthier he took an antidepressant he worked on his therapeutic issues his marriage got better and he ended up therapy after about a year of hard work and said i didn't know i could feel this good again
1: yeah it was beautiful there's it's almost always a, a happy ending movie mm-hmm. it's it's that's the movie that both of us want to watch right <laughs> and sometimes we like happy endings yeah sometimes it <laughs> ends up being you know a Kind of a scary movie, uh-huh. but, and but, both
0: of us have dealt with suicides in our career
1: yeah so. so but but the point of uh I think the point that Patty's making is that yes, we can help you it's you're not stuck um feeling awful, and uh you know, I wasn't stuck feeling awful, and it's um it's something to uh, not to be ashamed about, I guess.
0: No, in fact, your vulnerability with your patients and telling them, "Hey, I struggled with depression. I finally woke up, got help, and I'm so much better." And, yeah. And you just have, you did a marvelous job, and that and I one of the things I admire a lot about you is your willingness to be vulnerable with your patients. You don't do the holier than thou doctor thing. You say, "Look." We're all human, and we yeah. all struggle with stuff.
1: Yeah, nobody gets it right every time.
0: No, and you're very helpful to people when you do that. Like, even you're doing that today on this show. You've probably helped far more people than you and I can even count.
1: Well, taking the first step at just making the appointment is sometimes I think it's the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I usually figure if I get them crying about within 15 minutes, I've I've got them. them. Well, here's
0: the miracle. You spend 15 minutes with your patients. A lot of people go into their doctor and they get their three minutes, and the doctor never really checks out anything. But let's, let's look at some other signs and symptoms. Let me share something with you that I see with men in depression a lot, and that is... Wanting to blame something else. And I'll use the example of my husband Rich that died. Rich had a brain disease that was throwing him into depression. His brain disease started out looking like depression. It became far worse than that. But in the very beginning, when he was first starting to get depressed, he would say things, he was an attorney, and he would say things like, I can't do divorces anymore. I hate doing divorces. I hate all the adversarial, angry, fighting over stupid things. I don't want to do divorces anymore. And he blamed his depression on doing divorces. So we shifted his practice all around. He stopped doing divorces, which totally changed our life because that was the main part of our income. And then it was something else after that. He was constantly looking for something to say, this is what's making me depressed. And I see that in men. They'll say it's not depression. It's my boss. It's my job. I hate my job. My wife and I don't have sex anymore, and we haven't for months or years. Um, I have a bad relationship, or I've, I keep hooking up with crazy women or crazy people, or, you know, and I'm just not talking about male female relationships, any relationship.
1: Yeah, they'll look for an external thing to blame.
0: Bingo. So if you're looking for something and you find yourself saying all the time, I'm not really depressed, it's. You out there, that out there. Maybe it is. That could be a trigger. That could be the reactive thing your depression is about. But it still might be triggering internal chemical imbalance that needs to be medically treated. And I see that a lot. Yes. <laughs> We're both looking at each other going, thinking about this. About 10 or 15 different patients because,
1: oh, yeah, and there it's are, very common. yeah, for men, you have to, you know, it's like pulling teeth to,
0: to get them to, to get admit them it.
1: To talk, Yeah, or just to get them to talk about their feelings. You know, it's not something that we're trained to do as young, youngsters. I think maybe that's changing a little bit, but, uh, we're not supposed to be vulnerable.
0: Right. And so, you know, one of my podcasts is on vulnerability and there's another podcast on depression and PTSD stuff. Um, if you look at my podcast, Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell, there's over a 100 episodes, and there's something that will resonate with you, whether it's anxiety or whatever you're dealing with. But the first thing and the reason for this show is because if we can cut through the denial and avoidance of men to say, I need some help, it's really important that that denial and avoidance gets set aside.
1: That's the toughest part. It is. Yeah, once you... It's not the treating it. No, no. It's the admitting and, to it. Yes. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, that was the toughest part for me, too. So I'm...
0: Well, when we look back at example. that time, and you're sitting in my office talking about the things that were bothering you, and I said, I think you're depressed, and you looked at me like, oh, no, <laughs> <You> know, wait.
1: <laughs> That's something that happens to someone else.
0: <laughs> exactly, not me. I'm a doctor. I know these things. And when you stepped into that with eyes wide open you move forward incredibly quickly because all of a sudden the avoidance and the denial fell away and the willingness to do what you'd always done for anyone else was there. And so you went to see your doctor and you got the medical help you needed and you worked hard in therapy and you are like poster child for male depression that's treatable. And it was beautiful.
1: You don't really want my face on a poster, though. (laughs) You're cute. Get out of here.
0: So let's look at... Um, a progression of what happens because so much of depression is a slow insidious onset oh, really like the frog in the boiling water so yep. be- before we're going to go to break which we've got about one minute I want to tell you the fable of the frog in the boiling water and whether this is true or not we don't know but if a frog is in water and the heat slowly gets turned up the frog will stay in the water until it boils to death because it's not going to jump out. Supposedly, if a frog jumps into boiling water, it'll jump right back out because it's aware enough to go, whoa, this, is, this stuff is hot. <laughs> so the frog in the boiling wa- the slowly turned up water, is what happens to a lot of men as they slowly go into depression around age 50 or 60 or 70. Yep. And we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that frog in the boiling water in relation to men's depression. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and I'm here with Dr. Richard Malosky, and we are talking about men and depression. And we've, we've got to tell you what we were just talking about the break. We were both laughing because it's so true. Men are mean to each other, <laughs> and, and it really affects men and depression. Like I was sharing with Richard that my husband, Richard, who died, um, guys used to say to him all the time, like, hey, dude, like you're, Losing your hair, going bald. And he'd, he'd go, no, I just have a high forehead. And then he'd come home and he'd be so hurt, he'd go, am I going bald? And he'd be looking in the mirror and I'd go, I wouldn't say much. And then he so often said to his male friends, no, I have a high forehead. And I went, honey, you you got to stop saying you have a high forehead. And he goes, really? I'm losing my hair? And it freaked him out. But men were mean. They'll tell each other you've gained weight. Oh, yeah. They, like we are the example we were talking about you used to back. be able to sink a basketball and now they'll, they'll go milatki what happened to your dunking abilities and then he's supposed to laugh
1: yeah it's pretty it's uh it's true.
0: People always think girls are mean, but I listen to men talk crap to each other and go, wow, you don't realize they come into therapy and go, oh, my friends say I'm not good at basketball anymore, or yeah. I'm, I'm getting fat and old and bald. Well, and
1: just acceptance of aging and all the infirmities and hurting every day. And, yeah. you know, there's a there's a pretty long list. I mean, we're not really made to live this long. No. We're supposed to, life expectancy in 1900 in the United States for men, the life expectancy was 42. Yeah. And And
0: now it's like 79, isn't there? Something like that. Yeah, 78,
1: I think, and girls are a little longer, but, uh, but yeah, we're, you know, our bodies uh, give out before we do.
0: Well, and so let's go back to the issue of men are not supposed to be vulnerable. So you're not supposed to whine that going out in the fishing boat, bouncing down the waves in the river are going to make your achy back scream because you're not supposed to whine. You're no. supposed to go out there and suck it up. So then you don't want to go, but then you miss fishing. But then that's your biggest coping skill to forget about work, to go play basketball or or play flag football and, or regular football or go fishing or go hunting. And as we get older, it's very hard for anyone, males or females, to begin to accept the changes in our bodies that make us not as able to do the things we used to do for fun or to escape. And I think that's the frog in the boiling water. This slow, insidious onset of changes and losses and things that you used to do that make you happy and now you can't do. If you listen to my podcast on retirement, one of the things I encourage people to do is find hobbies that they can do when they're 80. Yes. Not just basketball or hiking or you know, going out hunting and dragging a deer back from three miles away from the truck. You know, you have to have things that you can do to keep you interested and alive as you age. That's the frog in the boiling water for a lot of men. They're not allowed to whine or be vulnerable or talk about it. They get teased by other men, and they're supposed to suck it up and take a joke.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty well right on. I, I guess I would have to admit that that's all true.
0: Yeah, and so that adds to covert depression. Right. Because along with that, don't be vulnerable and don't whine, comes if, I'm, if I go home and I'm looking in the mirror being sad that all the men have said, you know, you're losing your hair, then I sound like a drama queen whiner, and I don't like that either. So you shove the depression under. Yep. And that becomes the coping skill. I won't feel this. I'm not afraid. This will go away, especially if I ignore it. Okay, it's not going away, so I'm going to have three beers or um, two whiskeys with glug, 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 glug poured into the glass. Yeah. One, the press client I had, I had him measure his two drinks. He figured out he put six shots in each drink. He was drinking the equivalent of 12 Drinks One and a half ounces each, so multiply that out real quick.
1: Yeah, it adds up pretty quick.
0: Yeah, and and he thought, I only have two drinks a night. But he was minimizing and denying.
1: Yeah, and then he didn't have to feel.
0: So what we look for as a medical doctor and psychologist is we're looking for pain and hurt, um, physical and mental. We're looking for sleep disturbances, weight gain, weight loss, um uh, and we're looking for just are you feeling not yourself, irritable, angry, sad, um, avoidance behaviors like workaholic, alcoholic, um, trying to not feel stuff.
1: Social withdrawal.
0: Social withdrawal, right. And, and loss of things that you were generally interested in. And sometimes like part of the avoidance is say you injure your back really bad and you can't go play basketball anymore. And you say, well, I'm not playing basketball anymore, but that's because I, you know, I have two compressed discs and it, and it hurts. Okay. But what we're looking for is how does that affect you? And what are the underlying signs and symptoms that are keeping you from finding some other hobby that you can do or some other outlet that doesn't hurt your back? One of my podcasts, Boundaries of Protection. Is Richard smiling because he has to listen to that podcast again, by the way.
1: Yes. (laughs) As he got here
0: and said his back was hurting, I said, Boundaries of Protection. He goes, Yeah, I did too much. Boundaries of Protection is about guarding what you can do and doing it wisely so you don't re injure or further injure something that you have.
1: I'm no longer allowed on a ladder.
0: Yeah, yeah, you are no longer allowed on ladders. So, Boundaries of Protection is a really good podcast for men. Women too, because we tend to do too much. But this is doing things within the limitations of your physical infirmity. Oh yeah,
1: one of my patients who's passed on now, but he's a great guy and very hard worker, and and he had uh, I don't know six yards of rock he had to move in his in his yard, and he's seventy four, mm-hmm. and so he got a shovel and a wheelbarrow and. Um, halfway through he all of a sudden the pain was shooting down his leg and he had to crawl into the house. And anyway, long story short, we did surgery on his back to relieve the pressure from the ruptured disc and and uh he needed the surgery. It was an acute situation. So and we sent him home and uh two days later he ruptured the disc above it, moving the rest of the oh, rock. Okay. Two days. So like it was a total of four he was in the hospital today, so it was four days post op he did it again. And that's male behavior.
0: Yeah, I I have this saying, it's called testosterone can be a handicap. And that's a perfect example of it. Yes. And his wife was probably inside going, don't do that. So oh, get Oh, she,
1: she, he would uh, get a note from me every year. He only come once a year for his physical and he'd get a note, uh, permission. And I was worried because he lived about 300 yards away down the street and his wife was an excellent rifle shot. And I thought one of these days she's going to shoot me when I get out of my truck. Because like I gave him permission to climb Mount Shasta, and you know, and he's eighty, he got halfway up, you know. But but (laughs) there's no quit in some people. Okay,
0: we do need to throw in here for things to look for, and that's men enabling men to violate things like protection issues that they should be doing. So men cover for each other. Yes. And that's part of the denial and avoidance.
1: It's part of the club.
0: It's part of the club. Let's give each other a ration of yes. crap. I don't want my producer to buzz me. <laughs> Create seven seconds of silence on the air. Let's give, Men are going to give each other a ration of stuff to tell them how they're old and ugly and not athletically inclined anymore, or they're going to enable each other to be stupid sometimes. Yeah. And those are the things that lead to the denial and the vulnerability issues and the avoidance of saying to other guys, I'm feeling depressed. Like, could men go to their guy friends and say, I'm feeling suicidal?
1: Absolutely not.
0: No. So one of the things I love about a man that I know who suffers from PTSD is first responder. He posts on a regular basis on his Facebook. If you are my friend and you are suffering from suicidal feelings, I am someone you can call anytime, day or night. I will listen. I will help you. And I think that vulnerability is beautiful. And is and, what men need to hear.
1: Yeah, in the office, I ask, it's part of my job, I ask everybody if they're thinking about hurting themselves, and uh, the women will readily answer that question. But the men that look at the floor, yep, they are. Well, you but have they... to
0: understand, too, that there is a fine line between homicidal feelings and suicidal feelings. Homicidal feelings are we project our anger outward to the world. Suicidal feelings are we project our anger and our depression inward. So depression and anger outward, Homicidal feelings, they might want to be super angry at their boss. Suicidal feelings, they're really feeling hopeless and depressed and lost within themselves. Right. So even if you're feeling like you want to hurt someone else or you have fantasies of that or you find your rage welling up, because rage is a symptom of depression, especially in men, or you're feeling like you want to harm yourself, it's really, really important that you get help and if you've gotten anything out of today's show what dr malachi and i want you to get is you can be vulnerable you don't have to do denial and avoidance you can get help go into your medical doctor and if they only give you the 3 minutes or 5 minutes if you're lucky if, because you're not dr malachi's patient who really takes his time with people but if go in and say i am depressed I, I listened to this show on depression, and it described me and I really need help for depression and you can ask your doctor, do you have a therapist that you like working with? can you can I do a trial of antidepressant to see if I feel better, and then step into getting yourself the help that you need
1: because yeah, it's uh, I can't remember the last patient that w- we were not able to help, yeah, but they have to make that first. Move.
0: Yeah. And so don't be afraid to, to lead with, I, I'm depressed. I know I'm depressed. And these are the reasons. Or I, I just know I'm depressed. Can I do a trial of antidepressants? Now, let's just talk about that real briefly here. A trial of antidepressants doesn't mean one day. A trial of antidepressants means taking the antidepressant that your doctor prescribes for you and allowing at least two weeks, sometimes three to four weeks, for any funky little side effects to wear off. Like it's not unusual for you to feel like you've had too much caffeine when you first start taking an antidepressant. You go, oh, I can't stand this feeling. That will wear off. Um, If it makes you more tired, you take it at night. If it makes you more energized, you take it in the morning. And it takes... A good two to four weeks, some, some of them are pretty fast acting, but a good two to four weeks for you to get the right dosage, for you to get through any funky little side effects, and you don't stop.
1: Yeah, you, what I always ask the patients is just be patient. In fact, I just say be patient with me, because I am taking an educated guess here about the right, right drug, and we have 40 of them, and the right dose, and, uh, and try to mitigate side effects if possible. Um, the modern drugs are much better than the ones I started out with 40 years oh, ago. Yeah. yeah, night and day better. So, and sometimes that's part of the, you know, part of the fear is that people are going to take a drug and they're going to be turned into a zombie or have a bunch of side effects or
0: not the, feel anything yeah. or lose their sexual function. Oh, yeah,
1: that's the big one for guys.
0: That's the big, and you have, and you, you need to lead with that because many of them won't say it out loud. Yeah. This drug rarely causes sexual dysfunction. If it does, if tell, it does me, tell me because yeah. there's other stuff we can do. Um, so you guys need to know that antidepressants are so effective now for getting you going and willing to work. So like if Dr. Malaki and I share a patient and Dr. Malaki treating him with an antidepressant and I'm working on all the underlying issues and when, and when my clients are super honest with me and say, look, it's causing sexual dysfunction, you need to know that doesn't embarrass me. I deal with this all the time with people then I can say, look, talk to Doctor Malaki about this when you go in.
1: Yeah, we talk about it every day.
0: Yeah, and and the patients that are really cool let Doctor Malaki and I talk. So I'll call him and say, Hey, I talked to Joe and he told me this is happening and Doctor Malaki say, Okay, I need to see him or have him call me and we can make some changes to dosage or things like that. So a good medical team to Work with your depression is powerful, but if you have to start with just your doctor or just your therapist, that's a place to start too. The secret here, guys, is get help. Yep. You don't need to do denial Take and avoidance. Take the step. Take the step. And don't get be help. like me. <laughs> well, you finally did. <laughs> so I want to thank Dr. Richard Malaki for joining us here on the show for his time and his expertise. He's just so generous with helping people. This is Doctor Patricia Bay, and you've been listening to Therapy in a Nutshell where I just want to help heal the world one hour at
1: a time. R Shasta Ready.
0: Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and you're listening to the incredibly beautiful music of Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist. He's a Cherokee native. He's been playing flute since he was four years old, and he's played all over the world, won tons of awards, has six CDs, and they're all beautiful. You can go to his website, randymcginnis.com, and check out his music. It's gorgeous. Okay, so we're going to get back to talking about men and depression, and my special guest is here in the studio with me. His name is Dr. Richard Mulaki. And he's a good friend, and he and i he's been on my show a bunch of times before I don 't even know how many, but he's always so generous with his time and his expertise and this is an important subject to him as well, so he was willing to come on and share his knowledge with you. he's been in his private practice over forty years he is one of the best diagnosticians I have ever met. He and I share a lot of patients together, and he helps them tremendously so Dr. Malaki, Richard. Yes, my dear, Dr. Patty. My dear friend.
1: You're laying it on kind of thick there.
0: Yeah, but it's true. That's the interesting thing. So I'm going to turn this over to you because you have information that the people listening about men and depression really need. So take it away.
1: Alrighty. Well, you're right um, when you mention about how prevalent depression is in our in our culture and society, and it's we think it's kind of um, cross-cultural as well it's not just Americans who have a lot of depression the the book says as many as one out of five adults will at some point in their life become depressed clinically depressed and and it comes in all shades of gray and some people are more you know um, more dramatically depressed than others but um, I talk about it just about every day all those 40 years and and um, I thought maybe the best way to to talk about is just tell you a typical story, okay. like a typical patient story. So, I had this guy, and for probably he gave us pretty good history, but story for about ten years of progression. So it wasn't just an overnight problem, but over about a ten-year period, he just started feeling bad, and. Uh, um one of the things we watch for is um loss of interest in things you normally enjoy so his friends would call him up to go fishing and he wouldn't go um he didn't care about uh you know hiking with his kids or you know he didn't he normally would like to be outside or maybe go hunting in the fall he didn't want to do that either he just lost interest in all the things he normally enjoyed and um a little less interest in work, although he normally is, was, was motivated to do all that stuff. And, uh, he didn't have the easy to get mad, but easy to get mad and easy to get sad are two, um, sides of the same coin when we talk about depression or disturbances like that. Um, and finally, you know, it just, <clears throat> it came to my attention finally because that person was me. <laughs> and, uh, and even though I talk about it, it's, it is funny now when I think about it because I feel much better, but, and Patty helped me with that. But, uh, but I was in such denial part, for part of the things that Patty said, like, um, hey, you know, the going get tough, the tough get going, doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. You know, we have that pretty hardwired into us as little boys, I think. And, uh, you know, rub it off and get up and get back on the horse. So, so, even though I was talking about it every day with all my other patients and most of the time helping them effectively um and getting them therapy, which is one of the first things you do um I fail to see it in myself and um and I think that's just it it just it maybe is uh emblematic of how difficult it is to root these people out because <laughs> you know you never i mean. If you just put a nickel in a girl, she'll tell you everything. But uh, but men, you have to pry stuff out of them. They just mm-hmm. don't want to talk about their feelings. And even though I knew better and was pretty well educated about this subject, I did not want to do it. I did not want to go there. That was something that happened to somebody else.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And it, it's, inter- it's kind of making me smile. He's seeing me sit across from over here kind of smirking a little bit because I think you really did get angry. I think you kept a quiet, internal level of anger and irritability. But I think what yeah. led you to start to recognize this is your family was saying, "You're so irritable and you're so right. angry and what's wrong?" And you were like, "Nothing. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm good." I was, in de-
1: I was in the denial of all that stuff. Yeah. And I was. I think I was also the other the F word you said. I was afraid. I was fearful, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be vulnerable in that way. So you avoided. Yes. So so recognizing it in myself, um, I think it's it's you know everything is supposed to do you good at some point in time. So recognize it in myself. I think it has helped me a little bit at work because I have talked about this every almost every day for my entire private practice career, and um, you know I think. I think I've seen a change in my in my thirty five years of private practice. I've seen a change in men where they're a little more likely to um, get some attention and seek some help.
0: I've seen that too. Men are a little more now coming in saying, "I'm struggling with depression than ever yeah, before
1: It's a little more okay well, to be vulnerable but
0: I remember saying to you, "I think you're depressed." And you were like, no, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, in fact.
0: (laughs) It blew you away. So,
1: 10 years ago, the first therapist I went to, because I wasn't feeling good, the first therapist I went to, she, I, I sat down in her office. She walked in. She looked at me. And the first thing she said to me is, "What are we going to do about your depression?" And I thought, "Well, how do you know
0: that? What depression?" She could, yeah, she
1: could tell by looking at me. And yeah, and I was, of course, in major denial about it. So,
0: and you did nothing about it back then,
1: right? Except and, for
0: shove it under and tried and tried harder to look less
1: depressed. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, finally, you know, a couple times. I mean, of course, it was. I had a bad year too. All my favorite patients died. But you know, I would just start crying in front of a, a patient when I was. Talking to him, and I realized, hey, you know, I think something sums up. Something, yeah. Yeah. It only took an anvil to hit me (laughs) on the head from a a fall of five hundred feet, but yeah. So, but uh, speaking about specifically, hey, what what's all this depression thing about? Um, One of the uh, tools I like to use in the office is make a visual image about what's really going on in our brain when when you become depressed. So. Uh, our brain is not just a big lump. It looks, mine might be a big lump, but, but it's, uh, it's kind of laid out like an onion. There's layers. When you see a picture of the brain on public TV show, it looks like that wrinkled walnut. That layer is only two centimeters thick. It's a little less than an inch thick. And when you peel that layer off, the next layer under there, the midbrain, it has a bunch of big long Latin names to all the parts, but those, that part of the brain is in charge of all of our emotions, happy, sad, mad, um, and sleep cycle, and a lot of our autonomic functioning. So it turns out that the outer layer, which we call the cortex, cortex means bark. It's Latin for bark, like the bark of a tree. Um, the outer layer is constantly telling the middle layer, and, and then there's the base layer is your brainstem. So it's constantly telling that middle layer down boy
0: yeah this, relax stop
1: yeah it. T- yeah. chill out mm-hmm. and um and it does that through these little chemical signalers which are more aware people are more aware of them now than they were 30 years ago but they're the big long name is called neurotransmitters but they're little liquid chemicals that allow the brain to talk to itself because believe it or not your brain talks to itself all the time and the part of the brain in charge of regulating the midbrain is right above everybody's left eye. So it's, we have, they do the experiments with, appropriately, with medical students now, um, this real-time MRI machine will, allows us to map which part of the brain does what. And it's pretty cool. But in depression, what happens is you start to have an imbalance of those little liquid chemicals that the nerve used to talk to each other. And, and it's, it's, More complicated than that, but a simple way to think about it is an imbalance of brain chemistry, and so and how we fix that, I think I think most important is uh, start with therapy, but often we're able to help that imbalance also with uh, some of the medications we have, which have really improved since in the forty years since I've been a doctor. So,
0: one of the ways I explain it to people is if you look at two basic types of depression there's a reactive depression where it's a reaction to something grief and loss sure. trauma something going on in your life um, chronic pain injuries can you know just change your whole life so there's a reactive depression so when you are reactively depressed not your brain starting to really not function right that's Highly treatable with therapy. You start to really look at what happened and how you feel, and and learn how to deal with that in healthier ways. Reactive depression that goes on long enough can become what Dr. Malaki is describing, which is that chemical imbalance in the brain. Now, some people will tell you, "There's nothing happened in my life. I'm I'm okay. I haven't experienced anything that's creating a reactive depression." They've gone into a biochemical imbalance in their brain. So. That's why it's really important, and we're going to talk about this with treatment, that your treatment is um, important to be your medical doctor and your therapist because somebody that's really good at this, like Dr. Malaki is, can help you evaluate the reactive depression and the biochemical depression happening in your brain and team it up with a therapist. And so some of the, the patients you and I share do so well because they've got really good medical support from you and we're going deep into the core issues and changing what's happening therapeutically and does that ring true for you
1: yes yeah in fact uh what what you were saying about the i'm a lumper so i lump things into big lumps and uh endogenous depression is where it's all inside it's you know you might be you know you're you're married to a movie star your house is paid for you've got a good job and you still feel awful yeah that's endogenous depression exogenous is where you know your wife just took a shot at you your house is on fire and your dad died, your dog died last night <laughs> and your dad uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your dad yeah so when all those bad things happen i mean you're any normal person will feel depressed when when you have that kind of Um, exogenous stuff. So, yeah, and that's a useful way to think about it. And most effective depression treatments involve both therapy and sometimes medication.
0: Right. I agree. Okay. So we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Dr. Malaki and I are both going to talk to you about what are the signs and symptoms that you might be showing that make you need to get an evaluation for Are you depressed? Because just pretending it doesn't happen and shoving it down under and hoping it goes away for 10 years, not like anybody in this room has ever done that. Yeah,
1: it didn't work for me.
0: (laughs) Then what happens is we want to treat that differently. And we we don't want people out there suffering. So let's go to break. And when we come back, we're going to tell you what to look for. Be back in a minute.